Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Media Podcast Network. What is up, universe? Jose Young's for MMAfighting.com back in your life for the A side live chat. Now, I know normally you're used to Sean and Mark and even Luke from years past, but as you know, lately we've been kind of changing things up where since I've taken over, we've been rotating a, a, a co host. Uh, we had Alex K. Lee. Uh, my first show, we had Casey Lydon, the ca- my cameraman, last week. But for this week, we've decided to do something special. He's been hounding me to get on this show. Uh, UFC bantamweight Brian Kelleher joins me. Brian, how are you? Boom. What's up, guys? Uh, excited to be on this uh, the A-side live chat. First time, but uh, let's do it, man. Yeah, I'm real excited to have a an actual UFC fighter. I know we get a lot of comments saying uh, we wish – we could get some more breakdowns from someone who's actually stepped into the octagon. So I've listened to your comments and I've, I hopefully, uh, we, well, I know Brian's going to kill it. Hopefully I do well too, but without further ado, let's go to the questions. And as always, you can hit the hashtag, the A side on Twitter. If you want us to answer your questions, you can go to the, the actual post on the page and leave your question there. The questions in green will be prioritized, obviously. So if you see a question you like or you want answered, give it a thumbs up or whatever it is on the site. I can't honestly remember. Uh, and we'll get to it. But, Brian, first question. Bellator, actually. Two title fights and way more. And I'm going to read this verbatim from our friend LFMWA. Bro, this card is stacked, bro. Coker is not messing around. It's Coker season. The Yoji Horiguchi is fighting Darren Caldwell in a rematch for a fight that happened in Ryzen. This time, Kyoji is leaving to come fight Darren on his turf. Oh, and by the way, this is a cross-promotional champ versus champ as the main card opener. Dylan Dance is in the, main co- is in the co-main. Enough said. I don't know if that's true. Bill Machida and Kale Sonnen, main event. That's also not true. Bro, three rounds of aging 205 legends. Chael's been building this fight since 2011 seriously go back and look up all the stuff he said about lyoto machida two fives week he led a karate champion the champ blah 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 aaron pico was on the prelims he'll be looking to bounce back get a solid win same with heather hardy eduardo Dantes is fighting a number one contenders fight he'll look to get a win and line up with caldwell so there is literally no question in anything i just read <laughs> but brian I'll give you the floor for a minute. Uh, obviously, you're not in Bellator, but this is a pretty stacked car. A lot of people say this is the biggest card in, in Bellator history. Bantamweight title fight, champ versus champ. You are a bantamweight. I don't know how much you pay attention. You are also a Bellator vet, so I want to – I don't know how much you pay attention nowadays, but thoughts on these, this massive Bellator 222 card in Madison Square Garden? 
Yeah, this is a really big card. Corker's doing the right things. You know, a lot of exciting matchups on the card with, uh, you know, we got veterans of the game and we also got a lot of up and coming prospects too highlighted on this card. Caldwell versus Horaguchi is a, a rematch. They fought in Ryzen and, uh, you know, Caldwell was doing well in the beginning of that fight, but he ended up losing by choke. So I think uh, this is a big spot for him to get a rematch, get redemption. I think it's really cool that they're doing this cross promotion stuff. You don't really see this much elsewhere. So Coker's doing things different and uh, really excited to see how this card plays out. We got uh, Chell Sonnen who likes to talk obviously and uh you know we get we got a really uh, exciting car coming ahead now, i want to ask you something specifically a lot's been made on the first rise and fight between caldwell and horiguchi was in a ring and this fight is going to be in a cage i don't know how much you've trained in either one or if there is a big difference but Cal caldwell said that uh this it will play a factor uh this is his home turf uh Ryzen obviously uses like former pride uh, format with the ring uh, uh, as opposed to the cage is that going to play a factor now that Horiguchi is a coming over to America but this rematch is going to be in a cage yeah, uh, there's multiple factors. I, I've, you know, sparred in a boxing ring before. It's definitely a bit different than the cage. The cage leaves you a little bit more room to uh, move laterally side to side and kind of avoid stuff if you want. So for a guy that likes to move a lot more, that could benefit him. And for a guy that likes to pressure fight and cut the cage off or cut the ring off, you know, it could be it could be a disadvantage. Um, you know, I think obviously um Caldwell mentioned a few things about traveling to Japan and the weight cut and how that played a factor and I think now Haraguchi might have to deal with similar things although he was a flyweight so it's probably not as big of a cut for him but uh yeah we could see a, a different style going on in a cage but Haraguchi has a lot of experience in a cage so I don't think that that'll uh, be a big big deal for him and not mentioned anywhere in this comment is the actual main event between Rory McDonald and Neiman Gracie for the welterweight championship. And the winner will move on and face uh, Lima in the in the finale of that welterweight Grand Prix. Uh, I do want to ask you, what do you make of Grand Prix? Are you a fan of these tournament file, uh, these tournaments that the Bellator is running? And uh, well, as we're recording this, I, I, I read that John Fitch is actually on site prepared yeah. to be a potential standby. I know we fought to a draw. Roy McDonald, I guess, didn't work out over it in the in the open workouts. But uh, what do you make of this main event and the Grand Prix as a whole? Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea to have Fitch, obviously, just in case something goes wrong. But the Grand Prix is great. Uh, it's something different. Like, you know, I was saying about Coker earlier, he, he does things a little different, spices things up. I think it keeps uh, the, the MMA exciting and, uh, and Bellator as something different than the UFC and other promotions. And the Grand Prix is cool. Sometimes I don't like how they split it up too far away. And you kind of have to deal with timing issues where if a guy has an injury or whatnot. But uh, overall, it, it, it brings a little bit more light and interest to the game in my opinion yeah i 100 i 100 agree with you that it definitely brings interest and luckily this belt this welterweight grand prix has basically worked out where it's essentially one year tournament where it started in the fall of like 2018 it's going to end in the fall of 2019 there were questions of Roy mcdonald having a quick turnaround i know we fought john fitch to a draw on that those post-fight comments where he was like oh, i don't know if I have it in me to hurt a man. It was pretty alarming. And then he had to fight a few months later. Uh, so that was that was a little interesting. But uh, I guess it's worked out to an extent. Uh, fingers crossed that uh, everyone stays healthy and Ryan McDonald uh, shows up to fight. But we're going to move on to, to the next question. Jumping over to the UFC, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of questions about this. Cowboy made it from our friend Rob Holland. Cowboy may have taken a beating, but he was not beaten. I had the fight 1-1 going into the third. And, yes, Tony Ferguson did the most damage in total. 
But immediately after the fight, people were writing off Cowboy saying that, saying this was his last run at a title. I beg to differ. Dad Cerrone is a thing, IMO. Your thoughts, please. So, Brian, I'm sure you've watched. I'm sure everybody watched. Donald Cowboy Cerrone fought Tony Ferguson on not on the main, not on the main event, and not on the co-main event. That's a whole nother story. Uh, I yeah. found the main card UFC 238. People are calling this the people's people's main event. Which I, if there's any fight in the world that can be called the people's main event, it is that. Cap, Tony Ferguson actually told me a media day that Dana Wade called him to quote unquote save this card, and Donald Cerrone was like, "Yeah, that sounds good to me." Uh, of course. Two for two rounds. This one is exactly as everyone thought. One of the more, the, the most, the best, one of the most exciting fights we've seen uh, in a while, uh, and especially a three-round fight. Cowboy and Tony Ferguson went to war, but then Don Cerrone made, and I just called this, said this on the post post-fight show, rookie move where he blew his nose to try and clear out the blood with a broken nose, and his eyes swelled up because the he had this big air pocket in his eye. Doctors declared he wasn't, he couldn't go into the third and final round. So they gave Tony the TKO win, second straight TKO win to be waved off between rounds. Also, because he also beat Anthony Pettis in his last night with a broken hand. Uh, thoughts when you're watching this? I know Dana White said there's no way Don Cerrone should have been allowed to go out there. He's, he agreed the doctors made the right move. Uh, thoughts on it being 1-1 and just your thoughts on this fight as a whole and how it played out. Yeah, man. I, I think the first original thought for me was I wish this was a five-round fight. I think everyone could say that, you know. Uh, I don't know who that would have favored, to be honest, because I've always thought uh, Cowboy Cerrone was a slow starter. So I figured five rounds could benefit him because it takes him time to get into a rhythm. But in this fight, it was different. Cerrone seemed to come out sharp. You know, he did really well in the first round. I think he won that first round. And then maybe the second round was a little bit closer. And we give it to Ferguson. The, mo the momentum started to switch and Ferguson started to take over. And then, uh, you know, we saw Cerrone blow his nose uh, in between rounds and the eye blows up and the Doctors call the fight. What it, what an unfortunate you know circumstance. We we all wanted to see that fight finish and play out, but I don't think it's fair to to write off Cerrone now just because you know he loses by TKO due to doctor stoppage. I think the fight was very competitive. Who knows what would have happened in the third round? I thought you know the momentum was shifting, but I I definitely saw a Cerrone that has had fire in him still to compete and still try to win that fight. A hundred percent. And he was actually pretty upset that the, he was like trying to call like, Hey, don't stop the fight. Don't stop the fight. Uh, I don't know how well he would have done with one eye. I know, yeah. but I said this octagon side, the same thing happened to Eddie Alvarez when he fought Gilbert Melendez in Mexico and he was allowed to continue fighting. He ended up winning. It was a, it was a very slow kind of grinded out decision. Cowboy Cerrone is not going to fight like that. No. There's obviously a difference in styles between Tony Ferguson and Gilbert Melendez, Tony Ferguson. I think that there was a picture, there was like a collage of like his last, every opponent he's fought on this win streak, and every single one is just covered in blood at the end. So uh, definitely, in, the, in my opinion, the interest for uh, Donald Stroni. And uh, has that ever happened to you? Blown? Have you ever blown your eye up like that after breaking your I eye? Actually, recently, I, I, one of my fights, I, I didn't really have like a broken nose or anything or anything too bad. Didn't take much damage, but I guess I got hit in the nose and I went to blow my nose and I felt that exact thing happening. A, a little pocket right here started to, to swell. Luckily, I didn't blow my nose hard enough to like blow it up where my eyes shut, but it definitely caused like a big, uh, you know, a big pocket and it started to swell up a little bit. So it's, it's a really uncomfortable feeling and you just don't really know what you could do ice it whatever but it takes time for it to go down so i ultimately think it was the right call as far as safety goes 
100%. And I have never experienced that. And I hope I never do experience that. But <laughs> I, like, I like what you said about how you wish this was a five round fight. Uh, Don Cerrone was very adamant that he wished it was five rounds because he himself said before he fought Ally Akinta that he felt terrible making the walk to the octagon. Like he just wasn't in it. And then you saw Ally Kings have won that first round. And then Cowboy Cerrone did what Cowboy Cerrone does, got better and better and better as the fight went on. There's obviously less time to do that in a three round fight. You can't feel bad in one round and then you only have two rounds to make it up. So Donald Cerrone was very adamant that he wanted this to be five rounds. Tony Ferguson obviously wanted five rounds, but Donald Cerrone doesn't do that great against Southpaws. Uh, would you, if you're Tony, Tony Ferguson said that he would be down to run it back, if you're Tony Ferguson, if you're in his shoes and you're upset at how it played out, would you take that fight or are you just like, hey, I have the longest win streak in lightweight history? Give me that title fight. Yeah, to me, it's like it, it can go both ways. It's like if Dana White's calling Tony and saying, hey, listen, we don't want to run it back. You know, you deserve the next shot. You've done enough. You have the most wins, you know, the biggest win streak in the division right now. Then I'm like, hey, I'm going to sit out and take that title fight next, you know. But I don't know if that's going to be the case. Uh, I feel like Tony Ferguson definitely felt really upset with how that played out. Just as a true fighter, you know, he didn't want to win that way. He, he wants to win definitively. So I I feel like that could lure him back into a rematch if that's what's the if that's what the UFC wants to do. I really feel for Cowboy Cerrone in this scenario too because you know coming back down to 155, he has his baby, he has all this motivation now, and he's looked better than ever. And he loses in that kind of fashion without actually really losing the fight, you know, altogether. It's a it's a crazy situation. I'd like to see the rematch just for those reasons. Yeah, and no, I I would like to see the rematch just because that's. Like, I'll watch those two spar. Like, take the title yeah. out, take everything out. Like, that's just an extremely high-level martial arts fight. But crazy fact, the last time Tony Ferguson lost, women weren't even in the UFC. Like, Ronda Rousey hadn't even made her debut. Like, so, and then Justin Gage, I saw Justin Gage. He said that he wanted to fight him on, on Twitter. And, like, I like that fight in terms of, like, mm. excitement. But, like, imagine a world where Tony Ferguson has to go through Justin Gage to get another title shot. Like, that's crazy to me. Am I, am I crazy? No, not crazy at all. I, I, I mean, who isn't excited to see that fight? But still, it's like w uh, such an unfortunate timing circumstance for Ferguson in many different aspects, like tripping over the wire, you know, the, the situation with Khabib and not getting that fight fulfilled. And now people calling him out like Gaethje and having to have to go through that again to try to get a title. It's it's amazing to, to see a guy with such a reign not ever get his chance to for the real title yet. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I mean, I'll watch Tony Ferguson fight anyone, but yeah. he needs a title fight, man. And he had that interim. He was carrying the interim belts around all week. He himself said, if Cowboy beat me, I'm handing him my, my title. So yeah. uh, we could talk about Tony Ferguson for an hour, but we're going to have, we're going to move on. Uh, all right. Sticking on that same car, we're actually going to jump up to the main event. Is Cejudo the new Woodley from our friend Milo of Croton? I hope I pronounced that right. Hey, guys, so who to won me over with his performance this weekend? Immediately after, he started calling out guys with, quote, unquote, names in the bantamweight division, completely ignoring the guys in line for a title shot. When Tyron Woodley did this, he immediately turned fans against him and struggled with his popularity. Question, is Cejudo at risk of turning fans against him by calling for money fights instead of establishing himself with multiple title defenses after des against deserving contenders? Thanks. Hashtag free PT Carroll, and that's a nod to 
All right, my co-worker, Pete Carey, who's actually in London for the, the 242 press conference. But Shout out to Pete. Shout out to Pete. I'm sure he'll be on the comment section. Absolutely loves him. But, Brian, if you remember when Tyron Woodley knocked out Robbie Law to claim the welterweight championship, he immediately called out Nick Diaz and George St. Pierre. Got a lot of flack for it, saying, you just won. That was It was essentially he beat Kelvin Gastelum, I believe, in January. That was the card of Anderson Silva versus uh, Nick Diaz, I believe, was that same card. Or Cormier, John, John Jones, they were both in that same month. I can't quite remember. And then he waited a while, waited for the title fight. Yes, the Johnny Hendricks fight kind of fell off when they were supposed to fight that one time. But he waited, got the title fight, immediately called for big fights without ever defending his belt. Fans rapidly turned on him. And he did yeah. eventually... It was a slow build, but I think he got it back, especially I feel like with that win over Darren Till, he won a lot of fight fans back because then at the end he was like, I'll just fight whoever. I mean, like I asked for the money fights I didn't get, I'll fight whoever. So, Brian, as a fellow fighter, if you're in the bantamweight division, which you are, and you see your 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 champion, two weight, two, two division, two division weight champion, now calling for your eye favor, who hasn't fought in a few years, Cody Garbrandt, back to back knockout losses, and Dominic Cruz. Who hasn't fought since he lost to Cody Garber in UFC 207, which was also Ronda Rousey's last fight card. So as ban as a bantamweight, what do you make of these comments? Yeah, I mean, I I don't hate on it too much because I understand the game. You know, being in the game, what happens is you're you're taking fight after fight against any opponent to just get to this position of power. And once these guys get to this position of power, they're like, okay, now I can start calling out money fights, calling out big names. And even if it doesn't happen, you get responses from these people, you get more notoriety, you get more opportunity. Uh, the UFC is going to do what they're going to do. They're going to pitch an offer on what they want. Who it really affects the most right now, I feel, is Aljamain Sterling, who won that fight in a beautiful way against Pedro Munoz. You know, for him not to get a title fight and have to hear these things, I think he's probably the most frustrated guy out there. Never mind the fans. Uh, I feel like the fans, they could hate you. They could love you. It's all good. You know, uh, the, the king of cringe is, is getting a lot of attention these days. So, you know, I think for Aljamain Sterling, though, that's a tough situation to hear him not say his name and might get, you know, passed up and get a, a you know, have Dominic Cruz pass him up potentially coming back from injury. So I, I, I understand it. It's not fair necessarily, but that's what champions do. They try to call out for the big names. And what you didn't even mention is Joseph Benavidez has a win over Henry Cejudo at Flyweight. I mean, that was Henry Cejudo's last loss. If Henry uh, Joseph Benavidez is obviously going to rematch Juicy Formiga later this month, and if he wins, he's got to be the most annoyed. If if Henry Cejudo a doesn't ever drop back down to Flyweight, and he like he's like, hey, I beat you once. I like, come avenge your loss. I mean like I consider George St. Pierre the greatest fighter ever. And he's avenged all of his losses, like to the Matt Sarahs and the Matt Hughes of the world. Um, I would like to see that fight. I think Joseph Benavides or Aljamain Sterling, if Joseph Benavides wins is those yeah. two one, a one B either one are the most deserving. But I, again, I, I'm not a fighter. I like watching high level martial arts. Uh, Uriah Faber was the weirder one for me because he's been retired and he hasn't even had his return fight yet he already has it both yeah. ricky simone in sacramento who knows because ricky simone is not an easy fight uh, especially, no, for, especially for coming off a long layoff dominic cruz has had every surgery in the book cody i get i can get but he's coming off two pretty violent knockouts and then the guy that knocked him out Osman sterling just beat so if you're henry cejudo does having two belts and i don't know if you heard this he also has a gold medal I think he said that once or twice. Yeah, uh, no, I wasn't too sure. But. <laughs> Triple C, as he called him. Does having the two belts make 
it obviously makes a big difference because now he he can he can hold up two weight classes, but he's like, hey, pay me. Tyler yeah. Woodley only had one championship. Does that is that a make a bigger so the question is Henry Cejudo in could he become the next Tyron Woodley? Or does the two belts make the make the bigger difference? I honestly don't think I, – I think he's winning over Dana White. I think Dana White really likes the guy. He he understands what he's doing with his shtick, and, and he's bringing a lot of attention. And also, yeah, having two titles in two different divisions, nobody wants two divisions held up and a lot of confusion going on. So he's going to have to defend whatever one the UFC prefers. Obviously, Dana came out and said he, the flyweights are supposedly sticking around due to this now, So which the division's not that deep anymore because they cut like half of them out. So I'm I'm wondering what they're going to do there, maybe restructure it or whatnot. But uh, Henry did mention that he enjoys fighting at 135 more and uh, that he likes the fact that he doesn't have to cut that extra 10 pounds. So that might favor him to defend the 135 title before the uh, flyweight title. Uh, so, yeah, Joseph Benavides, if he gets a win, he might be waiting even longer to try to get that shot. What do you make of Henry Cejudo's, uh, as you said, stick, the cringe Cejudo? As a, as a bantamweight, you are – I mean, you're a UFC fighter. You're a prize fighter. You're going to want to fight the guy that draws the most attention. Maybe not, like, the biggest – like, I, I, he's a little bit of an anomaly where he's the champion and he's doing this. So it would be different, like, if you're fighting, like, Chael Sonnen. He's not the champion, but he's going to draw the biggest – the most eyes. What do you make of the uh, cringe Cejudo gimmick? Yeah, I think it's smart, actually. You know, uh, at first it was like kind of annoying. I'm like, ah, I don't know. This guy's being a little fake. This isn't really Henry Cejudo, you know. Then you hear like he took some advice from Chell Sonnen and stuff like that. But he seems to be comfortable doing it. And he seems to have fun and stuff like that. And I think uh, now that I understand, like, it's just straight sarcasm and he's just having a fun time. I get it. You know, you're, you're trying to get more fan base, more attention, more money. That's what we all want. You know, like you said, prize fighters. So I get that. But coming up it's different because you're going to get paid the same no matter what you know unless you start to fight a big superstar you take that guy's name and you get all that notoriety that's essentially what you're fighting for it's not like because you fight a big name you get paid what he gets paid it's never like that until you're a world champion and then you get paid different money but yeah i think henry knows what he's doing he's getting people to hate him he's getting people to love him and just drawing all the attention what do you make of like yeah, he's he's doing this gimmick, but in media day, he's kind of pulling back the curtain where he's like, this, this is me selling a fight. And if you talk to Chael Sonnen on or off camera, he's going to be the same way no matter what. He doesn't quote unquote for wrestling fans. He doesn't break kayfabe. He doesn't take the he doesn't pull the curtain back. So what do you what do you make of Henry Cejudo kind of saying like, hey, guys, like this is just me selling a fight? Yeah, uh, that's just him being himself, being honest. I guess, you know, Chael Sonnen will keep like he'll keep that attitude the whole way through. But uh, Suhudo's like in an interview, he's kind of real, you know, he's just a normal guy, humble, whatever. He, he says, you know, funny things, but I think he's just really confident. I think he knows what he's done. He deserves it. He's Olympic world champion. Now, nobody could deny the guy. He's won two titles in two different weight classes that beat, you know, some of the top guys in the, in, in the world. So, you know, he, he knows what he's done and that he deserves what he's asking for. So he's just doing it in a funny way and being honest about it. And one final one on Cejudo before we move on. He declared himself the greatest combat athlete of all time. Two UFC championships, Olympic gold medal. Do you agree? Or do you, are you on Dana White's side where he's like, I mean, there's a guy named John Jones floating around out there. Yeah. There's boxers out there. There's 
there's actual like amateur wrestlers going for because he has a gold medal, but there's guys going for multiple gold medals. What what is, what do you make of that comment? It's it's tough, man. I find it to be like a controversial subject because you don't know with different sports, like you said, how do you how do you uh, gauge the different sports on levels of you know what's superior to the other one? Uh, how do you gauge competition? Um, you know, people fighting now versus people fighting back in the day. Obviously, the game has evolved, so you're probably seeing the best fighters ever now compete. Uh, but you know, then you got John Jones, who's beat everybody in his way essentially, and fought probably the top competition there is to fight and uh defended his title multiple times over and over uh i think that could that could uh play a role you know henry hasn't defended his titles yet yes he won a gold medal very impressive but he just won these titles they always say it's hard to get there but it's harder to stay there and john jones did that for a while well to say i agree with you would be an understatement uh, you hit it on the head he hasn't defended his title yet if he defends both titles 125 and 135 i mean it's going to be hard to argue that, especially if, yeah, he, exactly. especially if he avenges that loss to Joseph Benavides. But moving on, Valentina Shevchenko's head kick from hell by Jay, our, our longtime friend Jay DeLuca. All right, this is a, a long one, so I'll kind of uh, condense it. Hi, Jose and Brian. Valentina's masterful. Oh, my gosh. She used a, a word that I, I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Masterful head kick and overall performance not only showcases just how immensely superior her skills are within the women's and um, within women's MMA. It is also conveyed an ugly reminder of how no competitors within her thin weight class of 125 will even come close to matching her skill level. It can be argued that she is certainly on par with how dominant Amanda Nunes is, with, with many believing that she did in fact defeat Nunes in their second outing. Luke Thomas said that Valentina is a cyborg from the year 3100 sent back in time to murder us. How would you both rate her flawless head kick in comparison comparison to other famous head kick finishes in MMA? And do you believe that her only option is to chase Nunes for a third fight in order to actually challenge herself? Jermaine Durandamy also comes to mind as genuine competition. So before I'll kick it to you, uh, Valentina, I actually asked Valentina like if she what her goals were, like if she want a, a third fight with Amanda Nunes at 135 because a lot of people, including herself, believe she won that second fight. Her goal is to defend her flyaway title as long as possible, as many times as possible, because she said the 125-pound division is the future of women's MMA. But, Brian, your thoughts on the head kick? Was it the most violent you've seen? I mean, obviously, looking into the past, there's been a whole lot of them. Uh, but when you're, when you're watching that fight and you see Valentina Shevchenko basically wrap a baseball bat around mm -hmm. Jessica Eye's head, and then it was a pretty terrifying. I don't know how it came off on camera, but Octagon side, it was horrifying. So your thoughts? Well, yeah, I was I was horrified back home watching that. I was like, man, Jessica, I was out for a uh, pretty while, you know, pretty long time, and that was scary because usually guys people come back quicker than that. And I'm like, you know, I hope she was okay. But that head kick, man, that was loud. That was really impressive how she set it up too. She was going to the body, and then Jessica, I was lowering the hands a little bit, trying to protect the body, and then she goes up top with like barely any you know you couldn't see her show any of that there was like no sign of her going up high she throws kicks very fast very highly skilled with all those muay thai fights she's had so uh yeah there's not many girls that i see challenging her in the division uh which i guess is smart on her her side to uh just stick to 125 and defend that title she'll probably go on a long reign as far as you know competition to face there but uh that was one of the most impressive head kicks i've seen especially from the women's side uh from the men's side as of recent i would say alexander uh, rakic against uh, yeah. jimmy manoa that was beast 
Yeah, and, and all week we were saying, like, Valentina Shevchenko, this is among the media, is mo most likely going to have a long reign. Uh, she's Obviously, anything can happen, but what she's shown, she's been pretty dominant. Uh, she ran th through Ioana and Jacek. Uh, she obviously put Jessica through a buzzsaw. But we, she wasn't the star that we thought she she deserved to be in the eyes of in the eyes of fans. Maybe it's because she's fought on co-main events for so long, and she wasn't active for a while, not because of herself. The whole Nico Montano falling out. She took her a while to get back, and then she fell off the card like day, literally days before their fight. And then she had to wait a while, and then she finally, when she finally got the title, I feel like we fans really lost an opportunity to see her shine. And then a lot of people in the back compared this to when Anderson Silva front kicked Vitor Belfort, where a few people don't remember. Anderson Silva was great, but he wasn't a megastar. And then he front kicks Vitor Belfort, and he is all of a sudden the biggest star in the UFC. Is this the performance that Valentina Shevchenko needed to cement herself as a legitimate superstar in the UFC? It's definitely going to help her case. I'll say that. I mean, you don't see knockouts like that much within the women's division. So that is a big shock to, I think, people around the world watching in its own. And I think that's going to help her star power for sure. Uh, I think we need a, a little bit more from her. We need to see a little bit more of a challenge and then we can gauge that more. And I think that's what the fans would want to see more of a heroic uh, challenge for her. Like, like people are saying, challenge Amanda Nunez again. And maybe if she could do that to someone like Nunez, now we're talking like superstar. 100%. And Jay DeLuca also adds, on a side note, personal top three head kick KO finishes in MMA. Uriah Hall versus Adam, Adam Sella. That was on tough. That was the, I'm sorry, Adam. That was a pretty scary scene. Uh, Gabriel Gonzaga, Crow Cop and Crow Cop. And then, wow, blast from the past. Marius Zoromskis versus Jason Hyde. Man, I haven't thought about that knockout in a long time. I think that was in Dream or Pride. I'm not honestly 100%, but that was when. Jason High got head kicked, and then it was like a one-two on his way down, and then hit his head on the on the rope on the way down. Oh, wow. That would be pretty horrifying. So, Brian, most memorable head kick knockout in your in that that comes to mind. Maybe it's from one of your teammates or when you watched, or most most memorable. One. Uh, I, it, I the guy already kind of listed it. The woman Gonzaga Crow Cop. The reason why is because. He crow-copped, crow -cop. No one expected that. And the way that crow -cop landed with his leg, like, underneath himself with his ankle twisted, that was just nasty to watch, man. And that, that was a big shock to see. So I would say that one. But like I mentioned before, as of recent, Rakic, the way he set up that head kick knockout and how Manawa slammed his head back on, on the canvas, that was brutal. And uh, he set it up with a nice uppercut, and then the head kick came right behind. That That's uh, one that I, I, I can remember right now, clear. Yeah, that that one is obviously fresh in, in fans' mind. The Uriah Hall one was real scary, especially because like in tough, there's no crowd, so you, oh, you yeah. don't really drown out. So when he got knocked out, it's just like a handful of people in the gym. You can hear Adam Sell like breathing heavy, and you can hear how quiet it is. But that one was that one was horrifying to watch. But I, I I'd say that one's up there. The Lodi Machida crane front kick that knocked Randy Couture into retirement, sent his tooth fly, which. Yeah. Funny enough, Chael Sutton has brought up multiple times on this on this promo tour because him and Randy Couture obviously teammates and former training partners. So quote unquote, going for revenge. But moving on from our another one from Jay Luca, a promoter's ego catching up to him. Hi, Jose and Brian. <clears throat> Anthony Joshua's major upset of a loss showcased how one of the top three heavyweight boxers in the world can not only fall from grace but also collapse his chances of earning those lucrative. Fights of his lifetime with either Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury, the three kingpins of heavyweight. 
Although either of these fights still certainly exists, the appeal and allure of them has, t- has taken an... Uh, wow. Jay DeLuca's vocabulary is on another level. I'm not going to talk about that word again. Man, oh man, he is using like every long syllable word in the dictionary. Anyway. He's uh, well read. Yeah, love to hear your take. Um, man, this guy is killing me with these words. Basically, look at, uh, all, look at all those books behind you. I know, man. These are all comic <laughs> books. No one wants no one wants this. <laughs> yeah. Granted, two dissimilar combat sports, however, I'm sure we can all agree that most MA fans do not think twice about how lucky they are that we got to see the best truly fight the best, especially in the prime of their careers careers with a single promotion. Few exceptions with DJ Rory and Musasi. Love to hear your takes on the the bind against at boxing MMA. So I assume he's asking, like, how fortunate are MMA fans that we actually get to see the best fight the best as opposed to boxing, where, like, how long did it take us to see, finally see Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd Mayweather? I mean, I, if that fight happened in 2009, I think that's uh, – it obviously is the most bought pay-per-view ever. But in 2009, that's a high-level boxing match. Manny Pacquiao is still in, running through the division. Floyd Mayweather's office is still, still undefeated. But 2009, I feel like it's a bigger deal in the terms of competition rather than making money. Uh, so as MMA fans, how fortunate are we that we get to see the best fight the best on a frequent basis? Oh, yeah. It's very important, you know, especially from the hardcore fans and from fighters themselves. They want to see the best fight, fight the best. And and we want to fight the best. That's why we get into this sport. You know, obviously we want to make money, but but deep down inside, we want to know that we could be the best. So we want to fight the best possible guy out there. Who's who's the champion? Who's on the top? Who has the most wins? But in boxing, it seems to be corrupt or promoters can't come to an agreement where, you know, their top guy is not going to fight this top guy. And it's unfortunate because people are only in their prime for so long and we want to see in in guys primes that we want to see them fight and that's not always the case sometimes these promoters wait too late to make the matchups and then it's no longer the same scenario and no longer has the same heat behind it but yeah i i I wish boxing would step up in that aspect and we would see the joshua's the tyson furies the wilders all kind of mix it up and 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 everyone fight while they're in the top of their game so uh yeah we're lucky as mma fans and fighters to to have that as a part of the game right now i agree with you 100 the only i will play devil advocate though and we never got to see anderson silva fight george st pierre which was a to me is the big is one of the biggest missed opportunities in in ufc history where there was a time when they had both cleaned out the division at welterweight middleweight and if they had just met in the middle or if george had jumped up to 185 like he did against michael bisping later later on proven that he could be a high quality fighter but that to that just stands out of my mind is like like don't do the boxing thing just fight each other you guys are clear yeah. I mean, it, it still happens in MMA. It just happens less and, and, you know, not as not as obvious, not as more frequent, but it still does happen. I feel like as far as promotion goes in general, there's fighters that are being protected due to potential star power in the future. They want to give them the right matchups. I think they do this with Sean O'Malley a little bit. And now we're seeing him fight Cheeto Vera. I believe this is his first real test against a guy who can potentially beat him. Well, we, that's a perfect segue. We actually have a comment about that that fight. So if you want to expand on that, like Sugar Sean, obviously he, he dealt with the, the USADA tainted supplement thing, and now he's being able to fight. I believe his last fight was UFC, I want to say 222, which I which was Max versus – no, it was supposed to be Max and Frankie, and then it ended up being Cyborg and Sky. And 
Frankie ended up getting knocked out by Brian Ortega. But uh, Sugar Sean, big test in front of him. Internet, but again, International Fight Week, another big card. Uh, your thoughts on this matchup in in, in your in your division, correct? Bantamweight. Yeah, yeah, bantamweight. Uh, yeah, he's not a featherweight. So thoughts on uh, the Sugar Show and his chances against uh, Cheeto Vera. It's an intriguing fight. Uh, I like to see that they're they're giving him a test finally. I'm not not to say anyone he's fought isn't a good fighter. It's just you know certain styles and stuff like that. Guys who can't really match up to a striking. Guys who don't have the wrestling jujitsu to just take him out. You know uh, he's shown a little bit of weakness in his wrestling and jujitsu game. I know he seems to be working on that a lot though, trying to improve. And uh, Cheeto Vera's man, he he he's on a hot streak right now. He's looked better than ever as of late, and uh, he looks more aggressive. And uh, Sugar Sean's been out for a while, so you never know how that plays a role. But he's still really young. So uh, I see uh, Cheeto Vera being able to try to utilize takedowns and, and catch a submission because that's probably where he's going to have the biggest advantage. As a bantamweight, when you see Sugar Sean uh, doing, like, he's getting this big promotional push, he's not doing the cringy Cejudo thing, but he is a unique figure to just – you see him walking down the street. He immediately catches your attention with his giant hair, his yeah. his big sunglasses. Do you like when you see that, like bringing eyeballs to your division? Yeah, I think it's good for all the fighters. You know, I think uh, it, it's uh, he's definitely someone being targeted. You see a lot of guys calling him out for a reason, you know, because they know too, like, okay, this is someone who the UFC is backing. This is someone who they want to see win. They want to see grow and become a star for them. So for us, the rest of the division, we're like, I want to fight that guy because if I beat that guy, now I say, listen, UFC, I'm the guy. I just took your guy out. I'm the guy now. Get behind me and let's start building me now. So I think that's what fighters are looking for. I think it only brings more attention, more eyes to the division. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, obviously, I'm not a UFC fighter, but I don't mind. I don't hate anyone getting the big push. I mean, Sage Northcutt got that that big push. And um, I remember the Kevin Lees of the world were calling for a chance to fight him and any 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 interview he got. And obviously the UFC yeah. did not want Kevin Lee to fight Sage Northcutt that yeah. early in Sage Northcutt's career. And then Sage Northcutt used that big push to get a huge payday in one championship. Obviously the first fight went, was a little rough for him, but he got paid. He said he got that money. So uh, I, I'll never fault a guy for that. But moving on. Michelle Watterson from Rob Holland. Andrade's next challenger is announced, and even though it's a fine fight, do you think that was the main reason Dana dismissed Watterson as the next contender, or is there something else since he was so firm in rejecting her claim? Uh, Wiley Zhang is going to fight Jessica Andrade. Uh, it's been reported that she'll fight her in on an ESPN Plus card in China. Obviously, nothing is 100% official, but supposedly that's what the UFC is targeting. I believe Wiley Zhang is ranked one above Michelle Watterson. Michelle Watterson has been calling for that title fight ever since her last win over Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Uh, what do you make of this booking? I know Tatiana Suarez just won. People consider her the uncrowned champion at strawweight, but she had a pretty bad neck injury flare up in that first round. She's not upset that she got passed over because it lets her get healthy. Obviously, as a fighter, you'd rather be 100%, especially when you're fighting for a championship against, as, as she calls herself, a tr Jessica Andrade calls herself a tractor inside the octagon <laughs> that's just going to run you over for five rounds. He just knocked out Ro uh, Rose Namunas. So what do you make of the matchup? Uh, does Michelle Watterson, was, was she – like was she overlooked or do you what what do you make of this whole situation that played out 
Yeah, I, I like the matchup. I, I think Weili Zhang has a, a, a lot of uh, potential right now, and she's an aggressive fighter. You know, I think a lot of times the UFC is looking at who's more impressive in their last performance to to book title fights. You know, obviously you said Tatiana's dealing with the neck injury. She didn't have the most amazing performance in her last fight. She did win. She's fairly dominant, but she's a wrestler and she likes to take you down and kind of hold you down a little bit of ground and pound. Uh, sometimes the UFC looks at stuff like that and they say, well, we don't want to see that as much. We want to see some, some vicious striking going on here. We want to see knockouts. We want to see aggression. So uh, Weili Zhang has that. And I think they're trying to build the market in China as well. I think that that's a factor. Uh, so I, I like the matchup. I'm, I'm excited to see how she fares against uh, Andrade. Yeah, I, 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 I would have liked any Tatiana, Michelle, or Wiley Zhang. I like throwing, throw a dart at a dartboard and whatever one hits, that's who she's fighting. Like I'll watch any of those guys. But Wiley Zhang is a very interesting uh, matchup. I, in my, like, I obviously have never, I have no, I don't know this for sure, but she seems to be one of the few fighters that will be able to match Andrade's like, physical strength like she yeah. bullies got people inside that octagon like she did that against Tisha Torres who's one of the smaller fighters our cameraman Casey Lydon has been hammering that Michelle Watterson for title fight Michelle Watterson for title fight for forever like he's like Tatiana is great Michelle Watterson should fight first and then Tatiana can fight the winner but I, I I think you hit it right on the head when you said the UFC is uh trying to book uh trying to, to break into that into that marketplace over in China but uh, I will present you with this. Uh, if you're a champion and the UFC comes to you and they want you to fight your next contender in their backyard, similar mm -hmm. to what Rose did with Andrade, do you take that or are you being like, hey, man, like, why can't I fight? Like, I, yeah, I just fought in Brazil, but like, I'll fight. Why do I have to go to her enemy territory as the new champion? Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's definitely uh, something to be said. I, I think. For, it's up to her manager, really. The manager has to step in and say, listen, you know, we're the champion. We want this. And that's where the negotiations start. As fighters, especially Brazilian fighters, I've noticed, they just do not care. They'll fight anybody, anywhere. Lineker's another guy that's like that who I fought. He'll come to, you know, your backyard and fight you. He'll fight guys unranked that are way behind him. He doesn't care to take those risks. So I think sometimes that's just a fighter's heart. And that's how maybe Andrade is looking at it. Like, listen, I'm the champion. I should be able to beat any any challenger right if i'm a real champion so maybe she's looking at it like that she's willing to take on all challenges including fighting in a different country in someone's backyard yeah and i don't know obviously the the time difference might be a big thing it's if it's on espn plus and it streams mm. it'll start pretty early over here in america so maybe that might play a factor like hey if i want the most eyeballs on me maybe i shouldn't fight like all like i, I I don't doubt for a second that Jessica Andrade wouldn't take that fight, but maybe, like you said, her manager's like, hey, we, yeah. we want to build our brand. Like, maybe we shouldn't fight at, like, four in the morning in America. But Yeah, what I agree. I That's the manager, though. You know, he's got to step up and say that, you know, negotiate those things. Yeah, correct. And, well, sticking in the in the strawweight division, Carolina Kovacavich's sad, sad statement. Dude, from our friend Ted Bear, one word, Dude, I appreciate her sincerity, but talk about a buzzkill. Has the game really passed her by, or can she change, say, by switching camps? Where could she best shore up her weaknesses? ATT, Jackson's, the UFC PI, your thoughts. So, obviously, I don't want to – I hate talking about fighters' retirement and telling people to change camps because I'm not a fighter and I, or a manager, so I, 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 I hate doing that. But she did say, like, maybe she won't – isn't the best. This was her on Instagram. Maybe she won't fight the top contenders anymore. 
but she still wants to keep fighting and she still wants to put on great shows. So, uh, Brian, as a fellow fighter, when you see a former contender fall uh, a few times, like she lost Michelle Watterson, got knocked out bad by Andrade, and then comes up short to Alexa Grasso. Like outside of the uh, knockout to Andrade, Michelle Watterson and Carolina Kovalkiewicz, good fight, so she's not being blown away. Uh, what do you make of her situation and uh, people as, – as a fighter and someone's like, hey, man, you should change camps to help your stand-up, what do you make of a fan thing? Yeah, I mean, as a fan, it's different, you know, but for the fighter herself, that's really up to her, how she feels inside of her heart, you know, with fighting. Um, I've noticed, though, that she is a little bit less aggressive. She doesn't pull the trigger as much in her fights as of late. Maybe that could have something to do with the knockout loss. Uh, that sometimes is detrimental to your psyche, you know, when you go in there, you, you're worried about that happening again, and that plays a big role in how you fight and how you perform. Uh, but as far as moving camps goes, I think it could be a help, depending on on the kind of attention she's getting, I guess she's training in Poland, right? I believe I so. That's yeah. for a very long time. Yeah, and, and loyalty is a big thing in this game to some fighters. They want to stay loyal to the person that brought them up in the first place. And, uh, you know, to leave someone's not easy. But as a coach, sometimes you got to be the one to say, hey, listen, I think what's best for you is to get out there and, get, you know, see different training partners and see different aspects of coaches and uh, try to improve your game. Maybe going to a big gym with more better training partners can help her. But uh, overall, it, it, it could be something that's just internal, that's just inside her head where, you you know, she took a bad knockout loss and has to has to get her mindset back in there and get and get a big win again. And one more for me. This this wasn't asked, but I'm genuinely curious. Uh, how much of a factor when deciding camps do the training partners play? I mean, we heard John Fitch for forever when he was at AKA saying like the fact that he would get to train with like prime Josh Koscheck, prime Mike Swick, like these guys that are his size that are the most elite athletes in the world that he gets trained with side by side every day so like yes the head coach is important but how important are finding those training partners to push you inside the gym Oh, it's very important. And it's not just a preparation thing too for physical training, but for mental training, you go into a fight knowing I'm doing really well in the gym with this person. This person has done amazing with his career. You know, I I'm sparring with this person. This person's on top of his game. He's in his prime. Uh, I think those things carry into the fight with you and it, and, and it can be extremely important. Sometimes, you know, you find yourself you know, some guys are, had a fight recently and they're injured and they're out. And now your main training partner is not with you alongside in your camp. It's just a timing thing, how it works. And now you're, you're scrambling around for, for, you know, good training partners to get you prepared for a fight. So I think that having a, a lot of high level guys around you that are in your weight class is a big thing for preparation. I mean, worked out for Daniel Corman and Cain Velasquez. They were training partners forever and they're arguably the two of the greatest heavyweights of all time. But one final question from the site before we jump to Twitter, and I would like to get your thoughts on this specifically, Brian. The next UFC card, I don't remember where it is, nor do I care. I literally don't give an F for any of the fights. Is this the worst UFC event in the history so far? Now, the next I, – I don't know which one he's talking about. Maybe he's talking about pay-per-views. If he's talking about pay-per-views, that is – baffling to me because the next pay-per-view is the John Jones, Santos, Nunes, Home, Ashkin, Masvidal, Sugar Sean's on that one. Like that card is insane. But if yeah. you're talking about specifically the next card, that's USC Greenville. The main event is the Korean Zombie versus Hanato and Maikano. I don't know any fight that Korean Zombie's in that's not exciting. And then the co-main the co event is actually a guy you brought up, uh, you fought before, uh, John Lineker's rematching Rob Font in the co-main yeah. event, taking that fight on short notice. So what do you make of 
of that card and the, this fan saying, is this the worst card in UFC history? Uh, I wouldn't go that far as to say it's the worst. I feel like fans are just looking for, you know, something to hate on these days. It's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, I, I, I love fighting. I love watching fights and I don't care necessarily on what the name is or how, what the guy's ranking is. Sometimes you see the best fights in the world when they're, you know, the early prelims, you know, on the ESPN plus or what fight pass, uh, I got guys are just out there hating right now. I don't know what's going on, but I think uh, Korean Zombie, like you said, one of the most exciting fighters in the in the whole UFC. Uh, he's fighting Moicano, who's another exciting fighter. Both probably going to strike the whole fight. Uh, Lineker, he's a knockout artist who throws bombs. Another exciting fighter. I don't know. Maybe they just look at the whole card and they want to see stacked fight after stacked fight. But uh, yeah, man, I, I I'm looking forward to this next card. I that to this card is like it doesn't have the biggest star names on like big names on it, but it's not a bad card. I mean, Luis Pena's in the in the on the prelim card. He's fighting Matt Wyman, who hasn't fought in a long time. He's a he's a long time UFC fan. Dan Ige is on the prelims. Uh, Darren Wynn and Adriana Lipsky are both on the prelims too. Like, there's a lot of important fights for like the future of the division, but not the biggest biggest names on the card. But even I believe it was you, like you said it yourself, like some of the prelim fights steal the show. I want to say it was UFC 199. That was when Michael Bisping knocked out Luke Rockhold. Dominic Cruz finished up the trilogy with uh, Faber. Brian Ortega knocked out Guida. Dustin Poirier knocked out Bobby Green. Like Dan Henderson knocked out Hector Lombard. Like that's one of the most violent fight cards I've seen in a long time. And the fight of the night was Marco, was, uh, I believe it was. Uh, Polo Reyes versus, oh, man, I can't remember. Dong Young Ma, maybe? And that was yeah, the first sure. fight of the night. And that one, fight of the, that one fight of the night, it was the most exciting fight on that insane card. So I think you hit it right on the head that just because you're fighting first doesn't mean you're in a bad spot. Uh, yeah, you can't judge a book by its cover, man. Any, anything could happen in these fight cards. 100%. Now, we're going to hop over to Twitter. Obviously, you can use the hashtag at hashtag the A side if you want. Uh, I assume you're going to want Brian to answer your questions, but I'll try. Yeah. All right. From Phil D 1984 on Twitter. While one's weight rules are somewhat praised to produce a healthier sport. How come Eddie Alvarez and Mighty Miles fight noticeably bigger opponents? Do one's fighters know something they don't, or is the system just screwed, which is indicated by lack of transparency? We've actually had some question like this. For, this comes up frequently. Like, yes, one championship has said, like, we've solved the issue with weight cutting and weighing in and fighting at your healthier weight. But we don't get to see all the weigh-ins throughout the week. We don't know the situation. I mean, Eddie Alvarez's opponent, he got knocked out. People, Sage Northcutt fought a guy that I don't, I don't think that he was that much bigger, but people were noticeably, visibly upset that he fought a guy that we didn't get to see weigh-in. So as a fighter... When you hear one championship saying, hey, we solved the weight cutting rules, Eddie Alvarez has to fight at 170, Demetri Johnson has to fight at 135. What do you make of what do you make of what one championship is doing over with their weight over there with their weight cutting? Yeah, I mean, from afar, it seems like, oh, wow, they're they're solving the issue, you know, but then you hear through the great grapevines that, you know, I didn't see my opponent weigh in. I don't really even know what happened. Uh, and these are coming from the fighters at the fight card. So something skeptical is going on. And uh, I find it weird that they're not showing it to the public what's going on with the weigh-ins. And uh, yeah, I feel like for them, it just makes... Uh, 
you know, more room for skepticism. They should probably come out and, and uh, you know, expose what they're doing and, and show that they're actually, you know, helping weight cutting in the sport instead of hiding things and it being up, you know, for, for uh, you know, people to talk about and discuss and not know really what's going on. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird one for sure. I mean, I for all we know, when Eddie Alvarez goes up to 170 and fights a quote-unquote like lightweight as one championship calls them, like for all we know, that guy's cutting from 190 to 170. Yeah. I'm going to tell UFC fighters are doing so. It'd be like Eddie Alvarez jumping up and away and fighting Tyron Woodley or Ben Askren. He's obviously going to be a smaller guy. Um, it's weird though. It's 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 real interesting. Eddie Alvarez obviously has his next opponent lined up. Did you think that? Do you think that plays a factor in guys like going forward? Fight fighters might be less inclined to try one championship if there is something fishy with their their weight cutting system. Uh, yes and no. Money talks, right? If you're gonna pay me uh, whatever, you know, if you're gonna pay me some big money, I don't really care who I fight. I'll fight someone bigger than me. It doesn't matter. That's that's how I'm looking at it. But you know, as far as fair fights go, it could be something to talk about. I really don't. I I don't like to see that. That's a potential thing going on. But uh, yeah, if you're getting paid and you're going in there and, and you don't know, there's no way to prove it that they're doing something sketchy. It's really like, what can you do about it? But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. A hundred percent. And I'm going to peruse one more time. I'm sure we got a few, a lot of questions on Twitter we got on the, the post too. Uh, so we're going to, a lot of questions on Tony Ferguson. Ah, Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson throughout the whole fight week. Hi, guys. It's just me. Or was this the most, quote, unquote, normal Tony we've seen in a while throughout fight week? He seemed to be doing very well, and his post-fight press conference made much more sense than I ex expected. I noticed even other people saying that this is the best interview so far. Could it be that he was having some issues longer than just these past months, and then he has finally gotten the help he needs, and now is doing much better? Also, do you agree he now deserves the next – three title shots and what thoughts you have about him. We kind of talked about that. P.S. Yes, I'm a huge Tony fanboy. P.S.S. Tony Ferguson is the type of guy to make Henry Cejudo look like a silver medalist. <laughs> that is funny. But uh, I do want about like, all, like yes, quote unquote normal. I don't know what Tony's situation is, but all week, if you, if a, I saw this from a lot of, a lot and some media members could take it. Some couldn't, someone would go and be like, Tony, how are you doing like mentally, physically and stuff? Because you saw a lot of like Tony had a lot of family issues become public and he would be like, don't effing worry about it. Like next question. Like and yeah. he said fans would come up to him like and be like, how are you, how are you? like they seemed like, how are you doing Tony? Like, are you okay? And he's like, don't effing worry about it. So as a, and he said in the media day, when we asked him like fans don't care, they're just looking for drama. They're just looking for, Whatever. As a fighter, if, if you're going through something like that, do you would you do you, are you on Tony's side where like fans don't care? They just they just want they just want drama. They just want something to nitpick and point out or 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 when a fan if a fan would come up to you would you genuinely be like, Oh, oh thanks, man, I'm doing great. Yeah, you know, if someone comes up to me, takes the time to ask me, I'm just going to be open and honest. That's just who I am. You know, I'm not going to be uh, uh, have an attitude with a stranger for no reason. But Tony's always had that. He's always had like a chip on his shoulder and he's had like a real like harsh attitude style with the media. I don't know where that came from or, or if that's just who he is. But yeah, to me, uh, he seemed happier than usual. Uh, leading up to this whole fight week, uh, I, I felt like in his interviews, he was like a little bit nicer, a little bit less on edge and stuff like that. But who knows if he was trying to be that way just to 
kind of say like everything's okay with me. We don't know, you know, what goes on behind closed doors, how he is in his personal life and how he is behind the cameras and stuff like that. But yeah, someone comes up to me and they seem genuine and they're asking me how my how things are doing. That's nice and all, but you know, it is also weird to get personal with strangers too, you know. I can't even imagine, especially when you're getting ready, like because this is all fight week. Like he's getting yeah. ready to step into a cage and fight Donald Cerrone, and people are bringing up his family situation. So I can't even imagine. But for Tony, I don't know if you remember, after he fought Anthony Pettis, he kind of broke down inside the octagon. Like he was crying, like, like yeah. loudly crying. So who knows uh, what his situation is? But we're gonna move on. I think we're we're coming up on time. I don't see any questions. And as usual, the A-side live chat tradition, we're going to give both of us, but Brian obviously can take as much time as he wants, uh, cut a little promo on any topic you want, fight-related, life-related, whatever. So, Brian, the floor is yours. Uh, for me, uh, I, I, this is new to me. I've never done this promo stuff, but I will say that uh, – I'm looking to transit, make a transition at some point after fighting to uh, start doing stuff like this. Uh, I'm very passionate about the sport, uh, and I really don't see myself doing anything else but being a part of fighting and, and MMA. And uh, I love what you guys do as media, and I love the interviewing fighters and the and the journalism and the interviews, breaking down fights and stuff like that. Um, I would love to do that after fighting. So this is pretty much me trying to build my resume. Uh, so I just want to say thank you for having me on the live chat. And, you know, I did the MMA beat. And so uh, I'm just trying to say, where do I fill out a uh, application with hey, MMA man. fighting? If, if it was up to me, you'd be, you'd be a regular, my, my man. But this was, <laughs> this was absolutely awesome. I think it, it, you, you killed it. Obviously I enjoy having fighter. Uh, uh, I would, I enjoy having a fighter on to kind of pull the curtain back for like, yes, as media members, we are around fighters a lot, but I've never fought John Lineker inside of an octagon. I've never yeah. fought inside of an octagon. So I very much enjoyed the insight. But for my promo, I'm going to say Tony Ferguson should not fight anybody not named Justin uh, Justin Poirier or Habib Nurmagomedov, which I'm surprised we didn't get any questions on. Brian, if you want to talk about that press conference after, we can. You kind of – Called it the, the. You didn't have many nice things to say about about it on Twitter, <laughs> but Tony Ferguson shouldn't fight anybody. Not name those two. Yes, Justin Gaethje is an awesome fight. Yes, uh, the Cowboy rematch is awesome. There's a lot of fun fighters out there, but like I said, the last time Tony Ferguson lost, women weren't even in the UFC. So, ugh, I can't. I don't even want to. I can't even think about if if the UFC makes him versus Justin Gaethje, my head might explode. But uh, Brian, thoughts on the press conference that uh, you said was what would you call it? The most boring press conference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't want to be like a hater out there, but I'm just calling it how I see it, man. I miss the uh the McGregor Diaz days, you know, when those two were going at it. I just get excited to see these press conferences. I want to see a little bit of something, dialogue, go back and forth. But uh I do want to give props to the fact that they're both two just very respectful fighters and humble guys. And I do appreciate that side of things before anyone gets it twisted. But yeah, it was just boring, you know, like there was nothing, no excitement, no exchange, nothing. Yeah, it was a little – it seemed like they hadn't woken up yet. Like, Dustin yeah. just got off the plane. But me personally, like, I really enjoyed the lead-up to Max versus Dustin where it was like, yo, Irish been drawn out uh, rivalry with Connor, But – and even he himself – what? He said that he even had difficulty kind of motivating himself for this. But outside of – Dustin Poirier is a bad dude. 
Oh, yeah, he, he definitely is uh, someone to watch out for. I mean, I think he has a big chance in this fight, you know. Uh, we'll see how he deals with, with Khabib's wrestling, but Khabib has shown that he can get caught on the feet. You know, he's been he's been hit on the feet plenty of times. So Poirier's got nasty boxing. He showed a lot of power. I was so impressed with how he put Max Holloway away, how he won that fight. Um uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting to hear Khabib say that he he had trouble getting excited and getting up for this fight. I don't think that's a good sign, but I think ultimately when it comes to fight time, Khabib will be Khabib, you know. And the last question I'll uh, I'll I'll ask you before we we call we wrap this is I asked Casey Lydon, our cameraman, last week, and he was like, "I'll make he 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 needed more time to think about it." If Dustin Poirier becomes the one in twenty seven and one to snap Khabib Nurmagomedov's win streak. He will have beaten Anthony Pettis, Eddie Alvarez. We fought Eddie Alvarez to a no contest and then avenged it. Finishes Anthony Pettis. Finishes Eddie Alvarez. Finishes Justin Gaethje. Also fights Jim Miller to uh, uh, a no a no con uh, to a, to a, a fight of the night. Beats Max Holloway in one of the best title fights ever. If he dethrones a beat Nurmagomedov, is this the greatest stretch of victories in UFC history? It could very well be, man. The guy has shown that he could beat the top guys in the division, especially like coming from losses and then bouncing back. That's that's a that's a bigger story to me, you know, losing to Eddie Alvarez and having to deal with that situation and then uh, coming back and, and uh, doing what he's done since then. It's nothing short of amazing. I mean, he's beaten the top guys and he's beaten them in, in, in good, exciting fashion too. He's getting better and better every time he gets out there. I feel like back, you know, maybe four or five fights ago, I'd be like, is is this the guy to beat Khabib? No way. But now I'm I'm you know slowly fading towards. I think you know this could be the guy. Yeah, and but like Casey said, he has to do the hardest thing first, and that's actually beat Khabib Nurmagomedov. And if he does win, I think I I'd have to I I, I would want to see how if he finishes Khabib. I mean, it's hard to argue. But like John oh, yeah. Jones, John Jones's run in 2011 with like Bader, Shogun, Machida, Rampage, Rashad, like that stretch of fights. That's way up there. Shogun's. Uh, Grand Prix run in 2005 where he won that light heavyweight Grand Prix. That was uber impressive too. But if yeah. if Dustin Poirier just goes out there and melts Habib Nurmagomedov, like, I can't yeah. argue. It's kind of like the way that he beats him. If he beats him, that'll that'll make a statement. But like you said, John Jones, like the way he's beaten guys, it's been very impressive what he's done in his career. So hard to say. Yeah, I just I'm I just want to watch that fight. That's all I want to yeah, do. Yeah, I you can't know, wait, man. Get September, get here any sooner. But we're we're going to wrap up the A-side. Uh, this is Jose Youngs. That's Brian Boom Kelleher, UFC bantamweight. Uh, I absolutely loved having you on, Brian. I'm, I am very confident you'll be back down the road. I know fans have been calling for P.T. Carroll, so maybe he'll be back next week. But, Brian, man, like anytime you want to do A-side, just hit me up and we can, we can set it up. It was, it was great having you. Would love to, man. Thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, let, let's keep doing this. Boom, baby. There you go. And we'll end on there. Uh, stick around at MMAfighting.com or the YouTube page. We've got a whole squad out over in uh, New York for the MSG show on Friday. And then we're going to Bare Knuckle Boxing the week after that. I'm surprised we didn't get any questions about that. Maybe we will next week. But stick around on MMAfighting.com. Yep. And we'll see you next week.